Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market a lot can happen in three years like a chat bot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, if you missed my other announcement, Wobegon is now on the Rusty Quill Network. The Rusty Quill Network is run by podcasters for podcasters and gives me a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't otherwise have. The show will still be run entirely by me. The only difference that you will see is that there will be advertisements. As such, I'll try to make this intro spiel shorter from here on out. So, quick plugs. Twitch.tv slash woebegonepod. I've been streaming, it's been fun. Patreon.com slash woe underscore begon. Early access to ad-free episodes, instrumentals, soundtrack albums, Q&As, director's commentary, and more. Patreon.com slash woe underscore begon. Special thanks to my ten newest patrons, Edgeburb, Allison Bettle, Timothy Snyder, Matt Parker, Soup Hole, Cat Fangs, Julie Maybe, Casey Couch, Seth M., and Leisure Fools for supporting the show. Enjoy. Warning. This episode contains some descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. It also contains some sudden noises, the timestamps for which will be in the description. The nervous energy in the Riga apartment was palpable. Myself, being the protector of Mike and Mikey, their sheepdog, if you will, was trying to translate that nervous energy into excited energy with mixed results. I'm kidding, this is Mikey. You will not have to suffer 20 minutes of Michael explaining what happened. The nervous energy in the Riga apartment was palpable. Michael, being the self-proclaimed protector of myself and Mike, he called protecting us sheepdoggin' was trying to translate that nervous energy into excited energy with mixed results. Side note, I do feel strange calling someone else Mike. I should not have so willingly taken up the mantle of Mikey. Like, that was the moniker that I deserved because I was, what, younger? And now I'm forever fated to it? That's gonna be on my tombstone. Because Michael's gonna pick out my tombstone. I've officially allowed things to go too far. Mike doesn't deserve that name. And yet, nevertheless, I am become Mikey. Mike and I were awoken by the sound of loud metal music blaring through the apartment at 9am. Neither of us appreciated this, but I understood. 
Michael rarely slept. I never witnessed him sleeping. He always, quote, went to sleep after us if he was actually sleeping at all, and he was always awake by the time we woke up. He woke us up because he couldn't be alone with his thoughts any longer. I didn't like being alone with my thoughts either, and Michael had been through worse than I had. I get it. Nights where you wake yourself up scared or screaming. Nights where you've almost crossed the threshold into sleeping and then a stray memory rips you back into wakefulness for hours. A mode of insomnia that I wouldn't wish on my enemies. And my enemies are like murderers. And my friends are too. And me. That's not the point. Still, I was scared of Michael. Being around him felt like being around an untrained dog. He killed the Mikey that wrote the letters without even talking to us about it, and I was almost as foreign to him as that Mikey was. Mike told me to lock my door in case Michael thought that killing me might be the solution to our problem, which I did. I didn't hear anything that night, save for one jiggle of the doorknob that might have been imagined, though I wonder if things would have been different had I not locked the door. Michael was still evaluating whether or not he could trust me, but he knew that he needed the extra set of hands on the mission, and that made me relatively safe. Ham and eggs were on the table for breakfast. It was all pork all the time in that apartment. You could smell it when you walked in. Michael told me the story of the wild boar that the pork came from while we ate. I tried my best to be an attentive listener, despite my mind being elsewhere and his mind being elsewhere as well. <laughs> Scared the hell out of Mike when he woke up and saw its head on the kitchen table, Michael said. It's just a pig, Mike, I said. Michael laughed. <laughs> That's what I told him. I sighed in relief, feeling his guard go down. I made him bacon that morning to make up for it, he said. Hold on, if you had just killed the boar, how did you make him bacon? I asked. Don't you have to cure bacon for like a week? Time travel, probably. Michael winked at me. That morning was filled with checking and rechecking weapons, poring over maps, loud music, and caffeine. I stepped up and took the lead on explaining locations inside of Over. My memory of the place was fresher than theirs. I got an affirmative, you got it boss, out of Michael as I explained where we would load in, how long it would take to get to our destinations, and where each of us should go. After all of that was decided, Michael wandered away for a moment and I had time to ask Mike a question. Is mission prep always like this? I asked. This seems a little bit, I don't know, frenetic? No, this is a new tack for him to take, Mike explained. I think it was because last time felt like a suicide mission. He went through that whole mission thinking that he was going to die, and I think he wonders if we could have prevented falling into the ocean if he had had a higher morale. I think that that's what he's trying to prevent. Does he like me? I asked. He's been strangely enthusiastic this morning. Well, he's acting like he likes you, Mike replied. The sun set, and I began to feel the reality of what we were doing in my gut. It felt like guilt, churning abdominal pain. In the meantime, I shaved my head because I remembered that my head had been shaved that night. Eventually, the overstimulation of preparedness crossed over into panic as I sat swimming in my thoughts of what we were about to do. Conversation had died down, and I didn't like being left alone with what I was thinking. So I pulled Mike aside again. We can't kill Innocent Hunter, I said. We have to. It's a connectivity strike. That means we take out all iterations, he explained. You learned that term yesterday, I said. Well, it makes sense, Mike said. Does it have to be me that goes to his cabin, I asked. The other two hunters are much more dangerous, he explained. You're the youngest. We need you to survive. The ramifications are more predictable that way. Uh, we all have to survive, I countered. 
Not technically. You're the top priority in that category. Like it or not, Mike said. I'm fucking scared, Mike, I said. You're scared? Look at that guy. He gestured over to Michael, who was on the other side of the apartment, bare-chested with jeans and cowboy boots on, loading bullets into a sidearm. He's scared. He's scared of everything, all the time. Michael never stops worrying for a second. But he channels that into a kind of strength. He's just acting, man. You can do it. I can do it. And acting strong gets a lot more done than acting scared. Do you think that you can grit your teeth and power through this? For us? For base? For Edgar? I looked at Michael in the dim light of the apartment, at the scars running down his back from the bear attack, at the cauliflower ear from an event that I knew nothing about, at the face that was my face but a decade of hardship older. I didn't see fear in his expression. I only saw determination. Edgar and I aren't going to get out of bed for a week after this, I said. Hell yeah, Mike said. We're getting him back, tonight. Our mission was to begin at 10pm relative to our time in Riga. This was so that we could coordinate with Matt, who would be given instructions on whether or not to correct us relative to his time in Vancouver. If he heard nothing from us by 2pm in his time, or heard back from one of us that he was to correct the situation, he was to travel to the apartment using a calculator and coordinates that we would send him. I could tell that Mike was skeptical of this plan. He had been at Matt's house when they proposed it to him, and I hadn't, so I had no room to argue, but entrusting Matt seemed like the best course of action. There was no one else to help us. We would have the security program at over if we needed to take action on the ground. Matt was the only one who could bail us out from a safe distance. It was finally time. I knew it was time to get serious because Michael had his shirt on. He resumed getting us riled up. I acted along with him this time. You ready to rock and roll, soldiers? Let's do this. Is everyone loaded up? Yep. Yep. Everyone know where they're going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then let's fucking do this. Hell yeah. For base. And for Edgar. For Charlie. For Chance. For Shadow. For Princess Daffodil. You're supposed to end on the strong one, so I probably should have waited to say Edgar, huh? <sighs> Enough talk. I'm ready. Let's do this. Yes, please, before I think about what we're doing. No talking like that, soldier. We're kicking ass and taking names is what we're doing. Uh, sir, yes, sir. Let's go, Michael, while we're still amped. All right. Initiating travel in five, four, three, two. The sharp chill of the night air of Old Brush Valley energy and resources felt nostalgic. It was something that I had come to know as home. Potentially ironic, but not entirely uncalled for, given what happened to me any time I spent considerable time away. It was almost safe. Take in that fresh air, boys, Michael said, 
Don't this take you back? You've literally taken us back, Mike said. We had arrived behind the building with the mail slot that we had hidden behind the night that we saw Marissa shoot us when she thought that we were the bear. That location was my idea. It presented us with relative safety of cover of night, as well as a strategic advantage for all of us to be able to get to where we were going before our targets could beat us there. Earpieces, everyone, Mike said, and then we move out. We all pulled earpieces out of our respective bags. The line stays dead until mission goals are accomplished, or until someone needs to call a variable, Michael explained. Mikey, call in when your job's done. We'll call in at each stage of mission completion. Got it? Got it, I said. Hey, Mikey, Mike said, quietly pulling me aside. You got this, and if you don't, you can just stall him, okay? And I'll swoop in and do the wet work. I'll do that for you. You got this, Mikey, he said louder so that Michael would hear and clap me on the back. Hell yeah, I do, I replied. I was acting. We went our separate ways. It was a brisk, lonely walk from the mail building to Innocent Hunter's cabin. I remembered the original iteration of that night clearly. It had been brimming with new possibilities. I had stolen the 116E door code from Edgar for the first time, and was about to wander directly into the path of Punished Hunter and all that he had in store for me. It was the beginning of Edgar and the beginning of the events that would tear him away from me. I felt minuscule in the context of my own story. There was a superstructure that hung ominously over me, challenging me to understand even a modicum of the challenges that it presented, and I balked every single time. This mission was my chance to finally reach out and affect it, grabbing onto and pulling the tendril of some ancient god. I finally understood the connective strike. I knocked on the door of the cabin belonging to Hunter Jeremiah Hartley. Hunter Jeremiah Hartley answered the door in gray sweatpants and an Old Brush Valley 24-hour diner t-shirt. Not so blearily as to have already been asleep, but certainly trending towards that direction. Hey Mike, Hunter said. Good to see you, bud. What you doing out here, though? I was just in the neighborhood, I said. Oh, what's the earpiece then? He asked. I'm waiting on a call from Marissa, I explained. I'm having her look out for something for me. Oh, well, you can come in if you want, he said. The kindness of his face allowed me enough space to step through the threshold of his doorway and into his cabin. I walked in and took a seat in a chair in his living room, somewhere that I often sat when I visited. I just put on some sleepy time tea. You want some, bud? Hunter asked. That'd be great, I said. Oh god, what the fuck am I doing? Why didn't I kill him in his doorway? It worked for the cop. Now I'm gonna be sitting here drinking sleepy time tea and trying to figure out how best to do this. I'm gonna chicken out, aren't I? I'm gonna chicken out, and best case scenario, Mike's gonna show up and bail me out at the cost of his own safety. Worst case scenario, the connectivity strike fails, and this was all for nothing, and maybe now we're captured by the hunters, and it's over. It's really over. And all because I couldn't kill the guy that killed my friends. I ruined everything. I ruined everything! I ruined- I got it down at the grocery about ten miles that way, he said, interrupting my stream of thought. He thumbed behind him and to his left. Oh, I know that one. That's one where they bring the shelter dogs for adoption and set them up out front on Sundays? I asked. No, that's the grocery store to the east. That way southwest, bud. Hunter laughed. <laughs> You're lucky you have a patrol. You'd get lost if they sat you down in the middle of the woods with your sense of direction. <sighs> I definitely would get lost if I was just dropped in the middle of the woods, I said. So why are you joining me tonight? Did you get lost? He asked. Not exactly. I was thinking about you leaving us for Tier 2, I said. Oh, Hunter said. Well, that's a bit of a ways off. I'll be in between for a long time. I'll still get to see you. 
I know, but I'm still scared that it's going to change things between us. I replied, what are you doing, Mikey? You need to kill him. You're on a schedule. We do not have time for an after-school special. I don't, I don't think so. I know tier two is hardcore, but I'll still be me, Hunter said. <sighs> That's the thing. No, you won't, I said. Hunter looked at me curiously. I know about the other two. What? The the other two? You mean Jeremiah and Jerry? He asked. Jeremiah and Jerry? I asked. Wait, which one's Jerry? It can't be the one with the scar, right? Mike, have you met Jeremiah and Jerry? He remained seated opposite me, but now he was leaning forward, weight on the balls of his feet. Did you sneak into tier two? Mike, you shouldn't be telling me about stuff like this. Hunter, you are going to kill everyone. Everyone. And from the looks of it, they're going to kill you too for your trouble, I said. The tactical part of my brain had stopped hurling insults at my acting brain and had instead short-circuited. How could you know that? Hunter asked. Because, Hunter, you killed everyone but me, I said. You're not my Mike Walters, Hunter said. At this point, he did stand up. And I'm sorry that I pretended to be, I said. But it's only a matter of months relative to now before the Council of Hunters, or whatever you call it, kills the whole base, Anne, Edgar, Marissa, Charlie, Chance, Shadow, the Hamsters, a base that doesn't even exist yet. They kill everyone, and then they kill you. Hunter stared directly through me for a moment. His jaw moved and his eyebrows furrowed in thought. He slid his foot in a circle along the floor of the cabin. I believe you he said. I'm not an idiot. I know what I'm involved in, what I end up getting involved in, but they really kill all our friends from over? Well, all of my friends. You probably have other friends, I said. Yeah, I guess you didn't say anything about Jamie or Harlan or Eagle or Ravi. I get it. You have friends, but let's not talk about Ravi either, I said, though that one wasn't your fault. Remorse was spreading across the face of innocent Hunter Jeremiah Hartley. A remorse for something that he had never done, that he was experiencing because I had somehow convinced him that I was telling the truth. I pitied him. He was facing the effect of a cause far in the future. There was nothing that he could have done to prevent it, but it was him at the center of this mess all the same. Does that sound like anybody else you know? Maybe some guy with perfect eyebrows? <sighs> I'll talk to them, Hunter said. I don't have much pull being the youngest of them, but I'll talk to them. That's what you want, right? That's why you came here? I put my elbows on the coffee table and buried my head in my hands. Talking to Innocent Hunter was like looking into a mirror. I should have shot him in the doorway. No, I am not here to get you to talk to them. The problem has surpassed talking at this point, I said. He looked at me wordlessly. I wanted you to know why I'm about to do what I'm about to do, I said. I stood and produced my pistol. Your gun's locked up because you're one of the only responsible people in this whole fucking valley, so you'll never get to it in time. I'm sorry, Hunter. I'll try to correct this if there's any way for me to do that. I really will. You're innocent. But I have to save Edgar. I'm sorry. Hunter was flinching away from me, but not running, not scrambling to get his gun safe open. Mike, was all that he could manage to say. I pointed the pistol at center mass and pulled the trigger twice. I hit him both times at close range. He slumped forward, partially onto the coffee table, spilling his sleepy time tea. 
I walked over to him and positioned him upright in his chair. He was gone by the time I was finished positioning him. I walked into Hunter's bathroom and threw up for a few minutes, coffee and ham, then made my way back to the living room. I pushed the button on the transmitter. Innocent is done, I said. I didn't have the fortitude to say more. Well, good job, Mikey, Michael replied. We just finished scaring off present Mikey. Proceeding into 116E now, Mike added. Keep the line dead. We'll contact you shortly about coordinates. 10-4, I replied. The line went dead. I was alone in Hunter's cabin. Hunter's landline phone rang. I unthinkingly walked over to the desk that the phone was on. There was a picture of Hunter and his mother in a frame on the desk. I picked up the phone, but I didn't speak. Uh, hello, Hunter? A voice said after some hesitation, expecting the other end of the line to talk first. The voice was mine. It was present timeline Mikey. Go to bed, Mikey, I said. Stop trying to interfere. Stop asking questions. You'll thank us for this. Another Mike? Mikey asked. What are you doing? Where's Hunter? Who is that cowboy? Stop asking questions. Take care of Edgar, I said. I hung up the phone. I had always called Hunter from the landline because it was easier that way, which meant that Mike and Michael had successfully scared him all the way home. They were free to finish the mission undisturbed. I returned to my seat opposite Hunter. He was fully dead, eyes open. I had seen Hunter dead a few times by then. Once when a dead Hunter was transported into my cabin, once when I killed Punish Hunter in retribution. A younger iteration of me had fled screaming, actually screaming, into the night on a non-stop drive to Matt's house because he killed Hunter. I wasn't able to handle it. This time, I sat in silent resentment of myself, of my situation, of how it became necessary to do this. It felt distant, like I was in the cockpit of a mind ordering a body around. I took a sip of the sleepy time tea. I don't like tea. I shouldn't have accepted the tea. That's what I thought about. I looked at Hunter Jeremiah Hartley. Hunter Jeremiah Hartley remained dead. I had made what Michael had called a correction. I did what I had to do. I told myself what I needed to tell myself, which is that I did what I had to do. I closed my eyes. About ten minutes passed before Mike and Michael broke the silence on the earpiece. Mystery and Punish are done. Michael's hit. Get in place and get ready to report coordinates immediately, Mike said. What do you mean, hit? In the stomach. We're going to the security building, Mike replied. The abdomen, Michael corrected him. Not the stomach. I probably got a couple hours before you gotta start making funeral arrangements. Michael, save your strength, I urged him. Okay, we're at the security building. Dead air until then. Be ready to have coordinates in one minute, Mike said. Hold on. Are we correcting this? Is Michael gonna be okay? I asked. Dead air, Michael said. Seconds passed. I kept standing up, then remembering that I would need to be in place for transport and sitting back down, then standing back up out of nervousness. Repeat. Finally, the earpiece crackled back to life. Coordinate soldier, Michael said. I gave them the practice coordinates for myself and Hunter. Propping him up in the chair wasn't a way for me to give him a bit of dignity as he died. It was a location that I and Mike could cross-reference with the extremely detailed over-tier map. Mike read the coordinates back to me, and I confirmed them. I heard a keystroke over the comms. Did... that work? Mike asked. I looked across from me. Both the chair and Hunter were gone. He's gone, I said. Hunter's gone. That was supposed to be for you. Michael said. Don't tease Mikey, Mike said. 
Save your strength for holding your organs in. Can we keep going, please? I said. I was not appreciating the levity. All right, you're next, Mikey. We'll clean up here and then meet you at the apartment. Stand by for transport, Mike said. I braced myself for the familiar discomfort of time travel. I could already feel the rumblings of things colliding with my perceived reality. I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and held it in. A few seconds later, I was gone. It didn't hurt. I didn't have a reason to think that reconciling timelines would hurt, except for some hokey movies where it hurts and they never explain why. It hadn't hurt when I completed the first Wobegon challenge, and my whole life after Matt was rewritten. I had slept through the process that time and woke up remembering both iterations. I did feel something this time, though. It felt halfway between my third eye opening, a whole extra universe inserted into me, and nothing at all. I couldn't clearly parse the changes. The new memories didn't all feel new. The ones that happened in the distant past were just as fuzzy as if that's where they had always been, lingering in the back of my mind. I had become Mikey, the one who was scared off by Mike and the mysterious cowboy, but that had happened a long time ago. It felt like crossing your eyes to see a magic eye puzzle. Here's what happened to me, to Mikey, the one that I told to go to bed and take care of Edgar while we did the dirty work. Here is the chain of events that became true when we were done ensuring them. I was going to use the door code and sneak into Tier 2 for the first time when Mike and Michael stopped me. I didn't recognize that Michael was me. They grabbed me by the hypothetical scruff and tossed me out of 116E before I could get myself in trouble, then they went inside. I went back to my cabin. Nothing dangerous happened to me that night. I never saw the three hunters. I called Innocent Hunter from the landline, but it was me that picked up the phone. The next morning, all of the hunters were gone, before I had a chance to know how many there ever were. I searched for Innocent Hunter for a while. Maybe he had disappeared from over, or maybe he was on the run. I missed my friend, but I had no idea where to search or even what was going on. I didn't know why he was gone. I eventually mourned as if he were dead, since he probably was. The lack of closure was painful. Other people filled the holes that were left behind by Hunter Jeremiah Hartley, and time swallowed them up in turn. Events played themselves out in ways that rhymed with the previous reality. I didn't transport Edgar into the middle of the Pacific Ocean because I had told myself on the phone to take care of Edgar, even though we weren't yet dating when the connectivity strike was carried out. Marissa was the one who was blackmailed into blowing up 357A while Edgar and I were at Glacier National Park. Unlike Hunter, who made it out with a scar on his face, the blast killed Marissa. Another mysterious disappearance, but not one that was difficult to figure out. The death of yet another friend led me to flee to Matt's house, where I was scooped up by the Flinchites. There must have been some considerable effort on their end to ensure that I was always going to end up in the Flinchite compound, which makes me wonder if they understand something about this that I don't. I eventually made my way back to Over, and Anne helped Edgar and I with the big skirmish inside of Tier 2. Hunter wasn't there to help us. Marissa wasn't there to barge in with her golf cart. Anne was killed by the Flinchites with Hunter not being there to protect her. I killed one of the Flinchites, and Edgar killed Ty Betteridge. We got the calculators. The mission was bloody. Edgar got severely wounded. He killed one of his co-workers, but we made it out alive. Edgar hadn't been suddenly transported anywhere. There was no lost year. It was a disgusting perversion of what Michael had wanted, a finger curling on the monkey's paw, all to make sure that Edgar didn't go through that. It came at the cost of Edgar having a limp that didn't fully go away, at least not into the present, Anne dying, and Edgar having the same sort of nightmares that I had, debating with himself over whether preservation was worth bloodshed. 
Base was nothing. How could it be? It was just me and Edgar, injured and demoralized, not even knowing the full scope of what we had lost. We had the calculators, but that was it. Mike and Michael took it upon themselves to train us when they weren't correcting us. They told us about corrections, about connectivity, consolidation, but they always felt antagonistic, like we were being punished for something, but we didn't know what we did. I treated Michael as I had when I was living in his apartment, like an aggressive, untrained dog. I avoided him as much as I could. This antagonism peaked with a fight between Michael and Edgar that almost came to blows. The fight was about rugby. Edgar and I didn't know what rugby was. The hamsters were probably still alive, and had never bought them from the pet store, so they were safe. Charlie, Chance, and Shadow, too. They stayed distant. Nobody came for them. This was the violent recontextualization of my life that whizzed through my head as I lay on the floor of Mike and Michael's apartment in Riga, Latvia, trying to process what had just happened to us in addition to the fundamental changes in reality. I had been consolidated, if this even is the same thing as consolidation, with a Mikey that knew nothing. One that treaded water without base, trying to eke out an existence, and mostly failed. I contained him now. Is this how Michael felt every single time? As the apartment stopped spinning, I was abruptly roused from my stupor by the weight of two Mike Walters suddenly landing on top of me. First Michael, then Mike. You put the same coordinates in for everyone, dumbass. You're lucky you didn't half-consolidate us and kill both of you. Sorry, sorry, rookie mistake, but we made it, okay? M Michael... He's actually doing a little bit better. He stopped talking in the security building, and it got scary. You didn't think I'd miss the chance to say goodbye, did you? You're not going to die. One of us should call 911. It's 112, actually. Okay, then you call the number, and I'll send the message to Matt to correct the mission. The fuck you are, Mikey boy. What do you mean? You're dying, and we only saved Edgar. We're correcting the mission. We saved Edgar. That's fine with me. Absolutely not. This was a failed mission, Michael. <sighs> If I hadn't pushed you aside, Hunter would have popped you right in the stomach. Then we'd have problems. What a fucking hero. Hey, everybody, check out the brave cowboy. Hold on. Hello? Yes, hi. Um, I need an ambulance. Someone here has been shot in the stomach. In the abdomen. Right, right. The address for the apartment is... We saved Edgar. And what about Marissa? Anne? Hunter? You? Don't matter. Michael, hey, Michael, don't go anywhere. Edgar. That's it, I'm calling Matt. We're correcting this. You're not gonna die on the floor of this shitty apartment. You wouldn't do that to me. Michael, I absolutely would. I'm not waiting another hour for him to hit the decision point. I'm calling him. Hey, Matt, mission failed pretty badly. Oh, you wanna stop me, Michael? Then you're gonna have to muster up enough strength to stand up and come over here. Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, it's a bloodbath here, Matt. We need the correction ASAP. No, no, it's alright. Just use the coordinates that we gave you and everything will be fine. You've got this. You're killing Edgar. Matt, I'm watching myself die. You have to do this. You're going to do this, right? I don't care how fucking scared you are. I'm watching myself die right in front of my eyes. Just do what we told you to do. Matt? Fuck, he hung up. 
Had a boy, man. Save Edgar. Mikey, you gotta take care of him, okay? Edgar. All right, an ambulance is on the way. Are we doing the correction? It doesn't seem like we're going to have that option, at least right now. Okay, so we will deal with this. This isn't what I wanted. Well, fortunately, corrections aren't about giving Mikey what he wants. I can't handle this on top of what used to happen. You can and you will, Pilgrim. (sighs) Oh, did you like that? Well, stay alive and there's more where that came from, partner. So what do we do now? Well, we keep the cowboy alive, but then after that... Edgar. Edgar... Seeing the time-traveling cowboy, with his shirt off and his cowboy boots on, turning his fear into strength, it fills you with determination. (laughs) ¶¶